congregation, the text for the sermon this afternoon is from our scripture reading, the verses 51 through 59. So if you keep the passage open before you, you're able to refer to it throughout the sermon. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we looked at the Lord's strong desire, his deep longing to do what he actually had come to do in the world, namely to send fire on the earth. And we, we listened to him when he said the, how he wished that it were already kindled. You probably remember that the fire the Lord Jesus was speaking about is the fire of the preaching of the gospel which powerfully will call to faith all people who are chosen by God and given to Christ. Not only from the people of Israel, though, but from all the nations of the world. Lord Jesus could not wait for that to happen. And this fire of the preaching of the gospel would be kindled on that great Pentecost day on which the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the church, enabled by God the Holy Spirit, would begin to fulfill that great commission by preaching the gospel to all creation, by spreading that fire all over the earth. But however much the Lord wished that the fire was already kindled, it could not be kindled before the Lord had undergone that baptism of his suffering and death, his burial and resurrection on behalf of all of his people. And he braved that suffering. He knew that it would come upon him so that after his resurrection from the dead, the Lord could command his apostles to go into all the world. Now, the word baptism, baptism meant for our Lord Jesus horrendous suffering and deep distress. We all know that, and although not in any way to compare with the Lord's suffering, we will see this afternoon that these words of the Lord means suffering for us too. And that should not surprise us, because we know what the Lord said in John 15. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it, that it hated me first. He said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, verse 17, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share into his glory. Now, it is about this suffering caused by the fire of the preaching of the gospel and how we should react upon it that the Lord Jesus teaches us this afternoon in our passage. And I will preach the word of God to you from this passage under the team. The Lord teaches his church about the effect of the fire that he would cast upon the earth. Lord teaches his church about the effect of the fire which he would cast upon the earth. 
En dan weer zie je dat dus vrijheid, first of all, will cause no peace, but division among its hearers. And second, that it must cause his hearers to discern the signs of the time and then to judge what's right. First on, we'll see that that fire will cause no peace, but division among its hearers. In verse 51, the reader of the Lord said, do you think that I came to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Now, the word translated no, from no, I tell you, no, is in our Bibles a word which is very strong. The Greek word that is used is, is very strong. It means literally, no, not at all, or absolutely not. The Lord Jesus came absolutely not to bring peace on earth. That's what he's saying. So in any case, anyone would be thinking this, and a lot of people will pretty soon because the Christmas season is coming up, then they, then they are absolutely wrong. He did not come to bring peace on earth. Now, it's really not wonder that people thought or think that Jesus indeed had come to bring peace on earth. Why else is he called in Isaiah 9 verse 6, the Prince of Peace? Why does Psalm 72 say that in his days there will be an abundance of peace? Why does John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, prophesied in his song in Luke 1 verse 79, that the Lord would guide our feet in the way of peace. Why did the angels at Jesus' birth sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace? Why did the Lord Jesus himself say in John 14 verse 27, peace I leave with you. And there are many more passages that speak of the peace which the Lord would bring. So we should not all be that that so surprised if the people of Israel in the crowd surrounding the Lord would have thought that Jesus, if he indeed was the Messiah, would have come to bring peace on earth. What would you have thought? Or what do you think? So now you could ask, are those passages not true then? And of course they are true. They're in the Bible. So they are true. So what then does the Lord mean when he said that he had come not to bring peace on earth, but rather division? And in order to understand what the Lord meant here, we need to remind ourselves of what happened in paradise. Adam and Eve willfully disobeyed the Lord and so plunged themselves and, and, the, and the whole of humanity into sin with its terrible consequences. And one of these consequences was that Adam and Eve and all their offspring became natural enemies of God. 
It became their natural conduct, you could say, the default position to just hate God. And God was terribly angry with them. And so there was absolutely no peace between man and his God. And so when we read those passages which speak about the Lord bringing peace on earth, then we have to think about peace instead of this enmity between God and man. God's wrath burned against his people because of the sin and people hated God. And now the Lord Jesus had come to reconcile, to make peace between God and his people. And through Jesus Christ, God and his people are reconciled again, are at peace again. And it was in this way that he indeed had come to bring peace on earth. Now this being true then, it is obvious that the Lord was not speaking here about this peace between God and man that he had come to bring. When he said that he had absolutely not come to bring peace, but rather division. You see, the peace that the Lord said that he had absolutely not come to bring refers to peace among men. He had absolutely not come to bring peace among men upon the earth, but division instead. Peace among men will come, but never in this world. Only after the last day, when all the Lord's enemies are destroyed, there will be peace among men. But before that last day, there will be no peace among men. Absolutely not. There cannot be. Then we only look at our church history and also what's going on in our world of today. You can see that Jesus did not bring such peace. Peace among men. The idea which so many people have also today that Jesus came to bring that peace is not at all biblical. And those mockers who therefore claim that Christ and Christianity have failed to do what it, is, what it promised are absolutely wrong. Neither the scriptures nor Christ ever promised to bring such peace into this world. You see, the Lord came to bring the fire of his gospel here on earth. And that gospel makes division. Already while the Lord Jesus walked here upon earth, among his people Israel, did his teaching cause deep division. His message caused the disciples and many others to follow him and love him, but it caused the Pharisees and many others to hate him and to kill him. And that division from then has grown wider in size and, and deeper and in severity. Ever since the Lord's apostles, his church, went out into the world to preach the Lord's message to every creature, that, that division has been growing. Now we must keep in mind that in our text, the Lord is not speaking out about division only among nations or tribes, or a division 
between so-called Christian and non-Christian countries or groups, or even in the vision between church people and non-church people. He's not speaking about that. And, and be sure, yes, the gospel had called such divisions too, and it still does, but the Lord points to a much closer, a much more painful division, a division that brings suffering. Just look with me at the verses 52 and 53 to illustrate the division that the gospel brings. He uses the example of an especially for that time very small family of five persons. A father, a mother, a married son, a daughter, and a daughter-in-law. The effect that the fire of the preaching of the gospel has on earth is so divisive that even small families can be torn apart by it, let alone large families or churches or larger communities. That is what the Lord teaches here. Now, the Lord is, of course, not preaching, not teaching that This division necessarily has to happen in every family. The Lord has undoubtedly blessed many families in such a way that they all loved him and they all loved the gospel and obey it. But what he is saying is that the division caused by the, by the gospel can and at times will indeed run right through families, tears apart loved ones, and you see, that hurts. That hurts. It hurts terribly when in, in a marriage one spouse does not believe. Is at best somewhat religious. It's very painful division for both. It hurts very badly when parents see that their children turn away from the faith. It hurts something fierce. When parents who love the Lord see one of their children marry someone who does not believe, or someone from a total different faith. Division. It hurts. It means suffering. And the problem is that we are living in a time in a society in which many Christians have found a way to keep the peace the Lord did not come to bring. And they did it to reduce, reduce the suffering by ignoring, ignoring or denying the division that the gospel brings. Sometimes you hear it said, maybe you've heard it too, oh, we are not allowing our different views to divide us or we just don't talk about the differences. There are so many things we have in common. Just focus upon the positive things, okay? Okay? But you know, focusing upon the positive things means often compromising or ignoring the truth of the gospel, and that is just not okay. Sometimes you hear parents, parents, saying something like, well, my son or my daughter won't go to church anymore. In the beginning, we tried to talk about it with him, but you know, you cannot go on with that. 
because you might lose them altogether. True, you might. But then again, how much more can you lose them? And then there is, in the same context as our text this afternoon in Matthew 10, verse 37, the Lord Jesus, who said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It doesn't mean, of course, that if a family member leaves the faith, we should have nothing to do with them anymore. And that we would shun them the rest of our lives or make them feel awkward in our midst. No, absolutely not. We don't even treat pagans that way, let alone, let alone loved ones. And Christ did not deal with us in any with us like that when we were still his enemies. But it also does not mean that you just keep quiet for peace's sake. That for peace's sake, we keep our Lord and Savior and the gospel out of our conversation with them. And yes, that might cause division. And yes, that division really causes suffering and hurts. And if you speak up and you keep on warning, it may well mean that they start keeping the distance from you. But as long as they know that you will always love them and that your door is for, to them is always open, so be it. But we will not and we may not keep Christ and the gospel out of our conversations for peace's sake. That's the kind of peace the Lord absolutely had not come to bring. Think about it for a minute. If you truly love your father or mother, or your son or your daughter, or your brother or your sister, or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and you truly believe what the Bible says, could you then... For the sake of peace, let your unbelieving or unfaithful loved ones peacefully go to hell. Could you? Would you not use every opportunity to tell them about and show them the love of Christ? Would you not pray God, the, the Holy Spirit, to use you and your efforts to bring them back? Would you not continually pray that Christ's love may become too strong for them and that they may be saved? Would you not time and again in true love urge them to turn to Christ? And yeah, that may well cause division. It may cause you to suffer. That's what the Lord Jesus said that will happen. Why do we even try to follow him if we don't believe what he tells us and where he wants us for? Just think about it. Those, those loved ones who, who wander, would their eternal well-being be of less value than you have temporary peace with them? Should not rather the love for your Savior and the love for your loved ones 
Pry your mouths open. By every opportunity you will be given. Oh, that you even today may know the things that makes for your peace. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? I tell you absolutely not, but the vision, the Lord said. And, and then looking from the right perspective, that's actually grace, you know. You see, what happens when there is peace among all men, we can already see at the building of the Tower of Babel, there was a united humanity ganged up against God and tried to make a name for themselves, tried to be independent from God, tried to be gods themselves. And it was God's grace and mercy towards the people that he confused their language and so broke their unity. For the only other option was to destroy them entirely. God came to send the fire of the preaching of the gospel upon this, uh, this earth, the Lord did. And so to bring the vision. And, and we brothers and sisters should never wish that he hadn't done so. Because he would, if he would have not gone to bring that fire, to bring that division, then the whole world included ourselves would have been since long in self-destruct mode, rushing to an eternal destruction. Sometimes you hear people speak of a new world order under one world government, and then humanity will, leave, will, will be able to live in peace, they say. The globalism of today is another such attempt. But what difference is that from try attempting to rebuild the Tower of Babel? Sinful world in which all men are united has to be a world without God. And a world without God, a world where man is God himself, is a place of utter futility, a place of brutal violence, a place of unbridled cruelty, a place where one man will kill another for his injury, or will kill a boy for wounding him. A place of Sevenfold revenge is the norm, as it was with Lamech in Genesis 4. Peace among men in this world is a pipe dream dangled before the masses by those who want power more than peace. And God, God so loved us that he sent his only begotten son and God the Son so loved you and me that he came to bring that fire of the vision among people. People that were united in hatred against him to bring the vision with people that would have perished forever altogether. Our loving Lord and Savior teaches us this afternoon that the fire of the preaching of the gospel causes absolutely no peace on earth but it brings division instead. 
And yes, that means suffering at times. And it makes us long for the day that the Father will come and wipe off all tears. The Lord Jesus also teaches us, as we will see in our second point, that, that the vision also must cause the Gospels hearers to discern the, the time, signs of the time. Look at verse 54. We read that the Lord now begins to address the crowd. In the previous verses, the Lord was in the first place addressing his disciples. Well, the crowd could hear it. And now he as it turns that around and he addresses in the first place the crowd, while also the disciples can hear it. And the Lord then begins to compliment the people in the crowd that they are so well able to interpret the clouds and the direction from which the wind blows in order to predict the weather. He said, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it is, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. But then he'll write on continue in the verse 56, and he calls that same crowd around him hypocrites. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky and the earth, the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time, the time in which you live? You see, in the time of our text, the crowd who followed the Lord Jesus was undecided about the Lord. On the one hand, they had heard the preaching of John the Baptist about Jesus. They had seen all the wonderful miracles that the Lord had performed in the midst. And they had noticed that the Lord taught with authority and not as the Pharisees did. And so they recognized that this Jesus of Nazareth was just not like any prophet. He must be more than a prophet. But on the other hand, they have heard what the leaders, the scribes, the chief priests, the Pharisees had to say about Jesus. And had they not told them that Jesus was a deceiver? And that Jesus had done all those wonderful miracles by the power of Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons? And so they followed. And they watched, and they listened. But they, made, they refused to make up their minds. They refused to recognize that Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah. And so the Lord calls them hypocrites. They were intelligent enough to rightly understand the signs of the clouds and the wind regarding the weather, and therefore they should have been able to understand the signs of the time they themselves lived in. And those signs were so clear. The blind received their sight. Deaf people heard again. The lame people walked again. And the gospel was preached to the poor. And all these signs pointed to it that this was the time that salvation had come to Israel, that Jesus was indeed the so long promised and expected Messiah, and that they should listen to him. But they pretended but they couldn't figure it out. They were, you could say, more interested in 
figuring out whether than looking for the fulfillment of God's promises to them. Brothers and sisters, we are living in the time after Christ's ascension. And already since almost 2,000 years, the Lord's fire of the preaching of the gospel has been burning here on the earth. And already since long, the gospel has divided, divided nation from nation. It has divided countries, towns, churches, and families. It had caused division between believers and unbelievers already for 2,000 years going on. But in Matthew 25, verse 31 and on, we read that on the last day the Lord returns and that he himself will also divide. He will divide people as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And that too will happen. And his people will be on his right hand and the others are his left. Those on his right hand will be saved, receive eternal life in his kingdom. Those on his left will be punished forever. But brothers and sisters, boys and girls, right now you live in the time of the preaching of the gospel. You live in the time that the gospel divides and in that way, Judges determines who will be at the right hand of the Lord and who will be on the left. Do you recognize that the vision that the preaching of the gospel brings as a sign of your time? Do you recognize the division everywhere? The enmity of those who are outside the faith as a sign of the fire that the of the preaching of the gospel that is burning brightly and hot in this world, in your country, in your town, in your church, and maybe within your family, do you recognize that this is the time of grace, but also the time of the hardening of hearts? And if you do recognize the signs of your time, what do you do with it? Are you as the Lord urges you this afternoon in verse 57, judging for yourself what is right. Do you judge it right to believe the world as it say to you, peace, peace? Well, Christ said that he came to bring division or do you judge it right to forsake that world? Do you judge it right to show that you're a Christian who loves the Lord? Or do you judge it right to be ashamed of your Savior and of the gospel and be quiet about both? Do you judge it right to follow the Lord wherever he leads you, even when the world will hate you? Or do you judge it right to blend in as much as you can? Do you judge it right to keep on telling you straying loved ones, your father or mother or your brother or your sister or your children or your grandchildren about their need for a savior, about their need to return to the Lord. Do you judge that right even when they threaten not to talk to you anymore, not to visit you anymore? 
Are you on the Lord's side no matter what? Yes, you may lose a friend. You may even lose a boyfriend or a girlfriend, family even. Because they want you to take it a little less serious with your beliefs. Young people, the greatest temptations always come from those whom you not, do not want to lose. And it's hard. But do you judge it right, young people? Do you judge it right that you might be not so popular in school? Because everyone knows that you take your faith serious. Or do you judge it right to belong to them, no matter what? Do you judge it right that everyone really knows that you meant it, what you confessed, when you promised, and what you promised, are your public professional faith? And true, that might cost you some friends, even some friends in church might find you a little too serious. Do you judge that right? Or do you judge it right to talk about the weather? Or hockey? Or football? And leave the things to divide you alone. Or do you judge right? This is the time that the preaching of the gospel does make visible division between believers and unbelievers. And again, it hurts when your friends or your family members turn away from you. But the Lord Jesus knew all about it. And he said, in the world, yes, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And the Apostle Peter, he knew it too. And he wrote in 1 Peter 4, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Congregation, do you judge for yourself what's right? I hope you do. You see, the Lord closes our text with a very urgent and solemn warning for people who, in spite of all the signs of the time, still hesitate to judge for themselves what's right. You see, it cannot be two ways with the Lord. You cannot belong to him while at the same time you compromise his gospel in order to have peace with those who are indifferent to him or hate him. You are for him or for the world. For him or against him. You simply cannot have it both ways. The Lord is either your friend or your adversary, and you must judge what's right. Listen to what he says, what the Lord Jesus said in the verses 58 and 59. He said, as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make every effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hands you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. 
We are all on our way, brothers and sisters, to the great judgment of heaven and earth. Some travel toward it with Jesus as Savior. Others are on the way to the great day of judgment with Jesus as adversary. And it's first of all to them that the Lord speaks in this verse. Because he don't want them to perish. And if any one of you here does not, yet, does not yet know Jesus as your own savior, and then that it's actually still is his adversary, then the Lord urges you to make peace with him. To make peace with him before the moment comes that he will be your judge. And we will condemn you to prison, to hell, until you have paid every penny. It's never. But today the Lord is still filled with love. And therefore he teaches you that he absolutely did not come to bring peace on earth with the vision instead. He teaches that the fire of the preaching of the gospel is a sign of the time and that also the division that the fire causes is a sign of the time. This is the time of division and the time of grace. It is the time to settle with your adversary or continue against him. This is the time that people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. It is also the time that you must judge it, it right to have no peace with them and to rejoice and to be thankful that you divided from them. The Lord urges you this afternoon to judge for yourself what is right. Is it right to have peace with him or is it right to have peace with those who reject him? That is the question. And he made you the judge. Is it right to choose for him and live? Or is it right to choose for his enemies and die together, together with them forever? These are the only choices. And he urges you to judge what's right because he loves you. But again, you are the judge for now. Amen.